Amen. Thank you so much, Tanner. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Uh, we are. So, my name is Terry Pierce, and I have the wonderful privilege, uh, not behind the mask, of being the lead pastor here at Connect Church. And we're so thankful to launch into a brand new sermon series, uh, however awkward it may be on this uh, wintry cold day, called Forever Families, God's Plan for Our Relationships. And so we're going to focus in on the next three weeks of uh, really just being able to delve into family issues single, divorce. We're going to cover all of that even in the message today. So let me just tell you, because of our online service and Andrew's not been able to do children's church and have all the little kids in there uh, today, uh, it's going to be PGs. You know, we're going to talk about marriage and singleness, but I will let you know that if you have ones that are children's church age, your junior high through teenagers need to be in here listening uh, to the service today. They're going to be fine, but maybe we're going to use that one little word that's the biblical word that rhymes with text uh, two or three times. And so if you don't want your children's church kids to hear that word, uh, we're going to use it a couple of times in the message. You may want them to tune into jingles or sprinkles or whatever Andrew uh, has. Uh, go back and listen to those old children's church versions uh, of that. But all right, so let's dive into it today. And here's where we're at this morning in this first message in Forever Families. Romance and marriage have the great potential for good in your life. And it's one of God's greatest gifts but you also realize that romance and marriage has potential for great harm. And here's what I want you to think about, just diving right into it. When you hear and think about, and I ask you the question, what are some of the worst moments of your life, you're immediately going to go to relationships. Some of the hardest and most painful experiences in your life are relationships. Matter of fact, uh, oftentimes people come to me and say, Pastor Terry, I need to meet with you. I've got to tell you something. Uh, you're not going to believe this. This is one of the most awful things in my life. Invariably, I know that it's probably going to be sexually related. It's going to be something that they've had a past experience. And when you think about your most horrible regrets, your most horrible regrets, it often is a past physical relationship experience, and um, they haunt us. And so when we talk about romance and marriage, while it has great potential, it also has very much great potential for harm. So what I'm going to do to illustrate this this morning is I'm going to pull out my Glock 43. I have a carry permit, and I'm going to pull out my gun, and I'm going to sit on the table. Well, uh, immediately, the handful of people that are here just got nervous and left. Uh, I thought about doing that this morning in the message, but I knew the security team would go into frenzy. Chop, you know, Chop just had a heart attack. So, uh, and it's not because I know where I pastor at. I'm in Mississippi. Ain't nobody have a problem with me carrying a gun or having that. You know, we're Mississippi. Amen. Shoot first, ask questions later. But what really makes our congregation nervous is the fact that me would have a loaded gun in anywhere in a public context because you know what's fixing to happen at that point, an accident is there. So I'm not going to do that today. I love my job. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you about my Glock 43, 9mm is a bad gun. Uh, and when I first introduced a gun and how to handle a gun to my three boys, I told them, I said, this weapon has great potential to do damage and harm. And you need to understand and respect its capabilities. I told my boys two rules that you need to know about a gun. Number one, 
you have to respect it. You've got to know that with a gun, you don't just aimlessly and, and, and uh, carelessly point it all over the place. You realize that, that it has the potential to do great harm. Number two is you never point at anything that you're not prepared to shoot. Just a couple of basic rules with a gun because I wanted my boys to understand and respect what a gun was all about. And the same thing is true, and this is, for, this is why you need to have your junior high and, high and your teenagers in the room today because we're going to talk about dating at the very end of the service. But the same thing is true for romance and sex. If you don't respect and understand its power, it can harm you. Not only that, and I'm going to be very careful this morning because I've gotten myself in trouble when talking about these issues. Several years ago, a number of years ago, we were doing this thing that uh, Jody and Kathy Brown, members of our church, had decided that as our church was growing, we didn't know all the new people, and this is way before we did discipleship, and we had this whole concept of connect church and small groups down. So Jody and Kathy came up with this way of trying to get us connected before we figured out that's what God wants us doing. And so they were trying to help us get there, and they started this thing called Dinner 8. And a few of you old timers remember, and it was just where we would meet on Saturday nights and different groups of people would have dinner together so we could find and meet new people uh, in the church family. And back in those days, how we did our church services, I would get up and we had, you know, we'd call out the hymn numbers and then I would read the bulletin to you like you guys were ignorant and couldn't read it. So I would actually get up and it was the most boring part of service. I got bored in it. You know me, I'm sort of ADD. So I decided nobody was listening to my announcements. I was reading the bulletin, so I thought I would spice it up one uh, day, and so I decided to just rhyme off the top of my head, and so I said, y'all come out to dinner eight, and I don't know why it flew into my brain and came out of my mouth, but I said, y'all come to dinner eight where we cross-pollinate, and it just, it just came out, and I was like, my wife just walked out of the service, and anyway, uh, I got in trouble, and anyway, so I uh, want you to know that just speaking on this subject is very dangerous. It can get you in all kinds of trouble, and we're going to be very careful today. I'm much more meticulous with my notes, and by the way, now that our church is into the discipleship, I've been trying to think, Davey what rhymes with discipleship, and I realize we're not going to go there. No, 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 no. So I, I, I want to keep my job, so we're just going to skip right past that. So if we talk about this subject uh, of matter, it has the potential for great harm, but it also has the great potential for God to bless your life and for you to understand God designed romance and marriage and even the life of the single. And so what we're going to look at today is God's design for the physical relationship, how it's supposed to work. And uh, matter of fact, here's what we're going to talk to you about this morning. Uh, turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew chapter 19. Here's the, and we're going to talk about three subjects. I've added one more to your sermon notes here today. Marriage, singleness, and divorce. And we're going to hit all three. Everybody needs to stay in and tune. You say, well, I'm divorced. I don't need this message. Yes, you do. We're going to talk about that at the very end of the message anyway. Dr. Danny Aiken, the president of Southeastern Seminary at Wake Forest, one of my favorite Bible scholars, he says it only takes two things that you need to know for a happy marriage. This is what he writes in his commentary on this text. Number one, God is the author of marriage and, and uh, designed it. Number two, if you want to have a happy marriage and a happy sex life and a happy family life, 
then you connect to God's counsel. Those are not on your screen, but those are two things. That, and what JD is, I mean, what Pastor Danny Aiken is arguing for is that we need to remember that God is the author and designer of marriage and our relationships, and we need to turn our attention to listen to Him. So, we are calling this series Forever Family. I borrowed this title from Pastor JD Greer. But it's really not original with either one of us uh, and some notes that he has about this. But this Forever Family series really comes from a controversial question that Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 19. And in his answer, Jesus introduces to you and I a new outlook on marriage. It's going to reshape So you need to pay attention today. It's going to reshape how some of you think about being connected in marriage, dating, single life, uh, sex, parenting, all of those things. As a matter of fact, we're going to unpack all of these elements in the next three weeks from Dr. Moody to Andrew. And you guys want to stay tuned for all of this series. We really want to strengthen the home. And so we're calling this forever families. How do we as a family survive in this age that we live in? So some of you are thinking, well, I'm not married, and um, I don't plan on getting married anytime soon. I'm single, sitting in the audience or listening today. And let me just encourage you, uh, and especially to our singles. Now, we're going to talk to you about God's plan and purpose for singleness. But first of all, you need to know, getting married does not fulfill you. We're going to unpack that truth in a minute, so just hang in there. If you're single this morning, this message applies to you. Getting married does not fulfill you. We're going to explain what that means. But also to those of you that do want to find somebody else uh, someday, let me just encourage you singles out there. You've heard Tanner publicly display countless times on this stage and, and, and other conversations that he could not get a date. He was that guy that struggled as a single to ever get somebody to go out with him, and then boom, God dropped Ashley into his life. So let me just encourage you, if God can drop Ashley into Tanner's life and he can get married, it can happen to you. So I I just want to encourage you with that. Uh, So we got great potential there. God can do anything. And so in our text today, uh, here's what we're looking at is you, you don't have to be married to be happy. Most of you will get married, and God has a plan and purpose for both. Here's what Jesus says about marriage, being single, and divorce. Matthew 19, verse 3. And Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created from the beginning and made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said unto him, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said unto them, because, you want to circle this, of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said unto him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? But he said unto them, Not everyone can receive this same, but only to those whom it is given. For their eunuchs have been seen, have been seen from birth. There are eunuchs who have made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven." 
let the one who is able to receive this receive it. The context, very quickly this morning, uh, on the interview that happens with Jesus Christ. Now, here's the context of the story, and this is pertinent to you really being able to process what Jesus had to say about being married, single, and divorced. Jesus is on a journey. He has left Galilee. He's headed back to Jerusalem, and he's been healing. Miracles have been happening. Now they get to this point where the crowds are following Jesus, and literally they follow him out of town, several days' journey, and they just, and the mob comes around him. The Pharisees are just like, all right, we got Jesus. We're going to question him. And, and, and literally, as if you were, if we were putting this in modern-day context, uh, Tanner's going to like this, it would be a podcast. Jesus is just walking along. Everybody's asking him a question. He would call the po- podcast, ask me anything you want, and Jesus just starts answering the Pharisees' questions out in public. So he finds himself caught up in, the, in, the, in two competing thoughts uh, that were schools of thought in their day about divorce. What the Pharisees are trying to do, and this is important, some of y'all keep reading the Bible and go, everywhere Jesus went, they just loved him because he was sweet and he was a good man and good people are always popular and everybody likes good people. I don't know where you get that stupid idea because he got crucified. And so I hate to tell positive people's bubble, but, but people, the Pharisees hated Jesus because he was a good man. They hated him and they would crucify him. And now before they got there, they were trying to trap him. What you need to understand as you read the Bible, don't do it through your American or your personality ideas. Read the Bible it was, as it was written. The Pharisees looked at Jesus as their arch nemesis. This was the territory where we're going to trap him. We're going we're to ask him a very politically incorrect question. And no matter what Jesus says in this answer to this question, because of these two schools of thought, people are going to be mad and we're going to get Jesus's popularity lower back level because the reason they didn't like Jesus is he threatened their control. Now, the controversy came out of an Old Testament text in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1. And so they're trying to put Jesus into this sneaky trick question. Matter of fact, they looked at Jesus, and this is interesting, they looked at Jesus as an ignorant hillbilly from Nazareth. And you need to understand that. They thought, we're going to ask him these two theological schools of thought on Deuteronomy 24.1. He's not going to know the answer to this because he's that hillbilly from Nazareth. And so they thought they had him trapped. Now here's the, the controversial text. When Moses instituted the allowance of divorce, it all came down to this definitive word, 24.1. He has found some indecency in her. Now, here was the two schools of interpretive thought. The more conservative school restricted this language in its entirety of what the Hebrew language is. Go ahead and leave that up, Rhonda, because I want to leave that up for just a second. That word indecency is what I want you to circle in your Bible. Now, the conservative school of thought took the original Hebrew language, and they're going to interpret it that it meant, and, and what, it, what it was defined as, is sexual immorality. And, and it means all, not just adultery, but any kinds of sexual immorality. But now the more liberal school of thought had positioned themselves to interpret Deuteronomy 24.1, what was the allowance for divorces say? Now, get this, that anything 
that a man uh, or that a woman does that the man doesn't like, then he is able to write a writ of divorce. Now get this this morning. This is awesome. So majority of people were saying, if my wife burns the rolls and doesn't cook a good supper, the more liberal school of thought was that I can write her out, we're done, our marriage is over. Do you know how many Baptist divorces we would have in our church if, uh, if it was all bent on whether, you know, we've got a couple of wives raising their hand now, uh, in the audience, that, uh, what, how many marriages would we dissolve because they can't cook? Matter of fact, one of my favorite stories, and they happen to be here today, awkward, but anyway, uh, is about uh, this whole issue of cooking, is one of our guys in our church says, uh, told me one time, I, he, I don't know how we got in a conversation, he said, you know what I do with my wife's Christmas present? I go, what? And he said, I hide it in the oven. And I go, why do you hide your wife's Christmas present in the oven? He said, because she ain't never used it. She ain't never going to find it. <laughs> anyway, that's one of my favorite all-time stories. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, if, and, and that was a liberal thought. But back to our text this morning. Um, a Jewish historian who lived in the time of Jesus, he tells and writes the definitive work on this issue of Deuteronomy 24.1. Here was a liberal view of thought. He says, he that desires to be divorced from his wife for any cause whatsoever, let him have it in writing and give an assurance that he will never use her as his wife anymore. So now, peeling it all down, the Pharisees are asking Jesus this question. So what do you think about Moses allowing divorce? You know, is it just over sexual immorality and adultery, or is it over anything that they want to do? Where, where do you stand on the spectrum? And he knew Jesus was going to tick everybody, you know, off no matter what he answered about that. And then what they were not prepared for when they asked this question. They thought they were entangling Jesus in this, you know, complex, biblical, theological, practical controversy. But you know what? What they did not understand is Jesus is the author of the text. They thought he was a hillbilly from Nazareth. He's the one that wrote the book. And they totally miscalculated what Jesus was getting ready to define to them. So you guys get ready this morning. Get out your notes today. And we're going to see how Jesus, the author of this Bible, answers their questions. And I'm telling you, he applies this text in such a powerful way that I believe is going to make a difference in your marriage, you being single, understanding divorce. Number one, principle number one this morning, we need to understand that marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. I want you to write that down. When I do premarital counseling, what happens is I will bring, you know, the, the couple will come to me and say, Pastor Terry, we want to get married. And I'm always excited to do weddings, like a hole in my head. Anyway, uh, and so uh, they come in and, you know, they're, uh, and it's a godly thing, I get it, but it's just, anyway. Uh, and so um, they come in and they say, and, and I will ask them, I said, you know, well, why do you want to get married? And invariably, here's how it goes. The woman walks in, oh, I'm just so excited about getting married, and there's going to be flowers and the dress, and I've already said yes, and, uh, and she's just talking about the wedding ceremony, and she's just blah, 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 blah. And so, and I listen, and I keep a straight face, you know, whatever, and then I turn to the gentleman involved in the equation, and I ask him, so why do you want to get married? And invariably, in Mississippi, they look at me and go, well, to be honest with you, 
I want somebody to be home that I can, you know, go to bed and sleep with, and I hope somebody will laugh at my jokes. And, you know, so anyway, uh, so we have a, a huge divergence of opinion about why we want to get married, and it sort of varies, and that describes a little bit. But then we get down to the serious issue, and I will ask the excited couple that's going to get married, I said, define marriage for me. That's the next question I ask. And let me ask you in the audience today, how do you define marriage? And you're going to be like almost 99% of the couples that come through me for premarital counseling. They have this dumb look on their face and they go, I don't know. It's just marriage. How do you define it? And, and some that are worthy will talk forever and they'll never get it right. And then others that are not worthy, they go, I don't know. just what we're told we're supposed to do. Uh, and so there, there's that range. But let, let me define for you. Marriage is defined by one word. Covenant. The biblical definition of marriage is one word. It's a covenant. And this is what Jesus articulates in our text today. And it comes from Genesis chapter 2. The word cleave, when it says you shall cleave, uh, leave your father and mother and cleave to your spouse, it literally means, the Hebrew word there means to make a covenant. Being in love and what he's talking about, being in love and understanding I am committing myself in a covenant relationship with this other person that goes way beyond feelings. You know how we're young, and it's all about how I feel today's generation. I feel in love. This happens to you, by the way, when you're tempted to leave your marriage because you have feelings for somebody else. Stop it. Marriage is a covenant. It is a commitment that I'm going to be there always. Through the good, the bad, and the ugly, I am covenant relationship. You are going to be my friend. Relationship, covenant. But we do everything off feelings. Let me explain to you the difference between covenant and feelings. How many of y'all got a dog? Anybody got a dog at home? Raise your hands. You got a dog? All right. And uh, you, you, by the way, you understand the difference between the, the, having a, a pet as a cat and having a pet as a dog. For those of you that are cat people, hope Amanda's listening. Do you realize that a cat sleeps 18 hours a day? And when you walk through the door of your house, you come in tired, cold, and hungry. And what does that cat do? She is laying on your favorite chair up on the back. She, maybe she lifts her head up, maybe, when you walk through the door, and she looks at you with a disgusted look and sarcastic look on her face and goes, it's about time. And over here, do you not notice that my bowl is empty? I need some food. And then she lays her head back down. That's your love-feeling relationship with a cat. Am I right? But now notice with a dog. What happens when you start to put your keys in the door? What does your dog do? Your dog acts like he's not seen anybody in decades. Your dog comes to that door. <laughs> he's scratching all over the door. He's pan. He's just dying for you to open up the door. Who's behind the door? Who's behind the door? Who's behind the door? You, you can almost hear it on his face. And then when you open up the door, he goes, I thought you were never coming back this time. I thought you were never coming back this time. Do you have food? Do you have food? I want food. And so you have that whole feelings. Your dog is passionately in love with you, but you're not married to it. 
just because you have feelings for something does not make it a marriage. And what I'm simply trying to say, for those of you that are intermingling with your feelings, you need to understand that a covenant, the covenant marriage ceremony in itself, listen to me this morning, is less about feelings on wedding day. When you stand before that congregation at the church and you get married, you are agreeing to a covenant that day, not your feelings. You're agreeing that you're going to be kind, compassionate, affectionate, patient, from this point into the future. You and I need to understand this morning that marriage, and here's what Pastor J.D. says, marriage, write this down, is a union in which God fuses two lives into one. Jesus said we are way more than feelings. We're no longer two, but one flesh. In marriage covenant, your lives are intertwined in such a way, this is covenant, that you begin to have mutual goals between you and your spouse. You have mutual goals for your future. You have mutual goals of what makes you guys happy. You may even only have one bank account. Your emotional lives become one. Your spiritual lives are focused together on God. This all happens first, and then your physical, sexual relationships become one. But you know what we do, don't you, in our society and culture? Satan is destroying your lives and your happiness because you're getting the cart before the horse. We want the physical, the uh, feelings to come first, and we don't understand the role of the covenant. Well, Pastor Terry, you know, I'm, you know, I'm older. I'm single now, divorced again, whatever. And it blows my mind that people still don't get this down is listen, it's not about your feelings. Marriage is a covenant. You go have a physical relationship. Well, why are you so saying that we shouldn't have sex outside of marriage? Listen to me, because marriage is a covenant. You go have a physical relationship with your feelings. You have no guarantee that that person is ever going to stay with you or stick this thing out. You're making a huge mistake by bringing feelings before the covenant relationship that God has for you. We treat our spouses, even after marriage, sometimes like zombies. What are you talking about, Pastor? It's about understanding God said we have all of these mutual goals, a covenant relationship we're working together that produces the physical enjoyment relationship. But what do we do? We get busy living our own lives. We just want to have sex, and, and, we, and we forget about, and you treat your spouse like a zombie and wonder why your marriage breaks up because you no longer care about one another. You've gotten the cart before the horse. You need to understand. That's why you need to be at a marriage retreat. You've got to remember we've got to put God first, put them second, and then ourselves third, and, and understanding all of that relationship. <laughs> you, you guys kill me that watch the zombie movies. I have no interest. They just, it just irritates me. Uh, and, and I know they're the most popular things from the movies to the TV shows, but, but here's my view on it. So zombies, who are they? They are soulless, mindless creatures that just simply cannot think they just want to walk around and eat people. And you guys are treating your spouses very similar. By the way, here's the reason I don't do zombie movies. 
After preaching to you guys, the last thing I want to do is go home and watch a bunch of soulless, mindless people want to eat me. So I'm just saying. Uh, but anyway, uh, the truth of the matter is, I'm just not into zombies. It's sort of, anyway. Uh, but, but the truth of the matter is, is you wonder when you don't have time for your spouse, you don't have any relationship with one another, you don't have any mutual goals, there's no connection on a covenant level, but you just want to have the physical relationship, you wonder why it's not working for you. Now listen to me. I'm, what I'm suggesting to you and I today is that we love each other in our marriage in a covenant relationship. The creator designed sex for, so that it would be experienced in relationship, in physical oneness, is all of this comes together in the culmination. And by the way, you say, well, Pastor Terry, uh, you know, churches uh, have not talked about this issue. Well, I'm telling you, we do talk about it at Connect Church. We do it responsibly. Matter of fact, we're going to put on the screen right now three resources about how to have a better physical relationship, a better sex life, uh, written by biblical Christian authors. You can order them from Lifeway for the first time in the whole message. Husbands perked up and go, hey, are you writing this stuff down? Anyway, uh, so we, uh, we want you to know that God did designed the physical relationship, and he designed it within the covenant bounds of marriage. Principle number two, God's plan for marriage is friendship. God's plan for marriage is friendship. Notice again that Jesus says in our text today, man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. God's creation of the female was in response to a problem. The problem was God made man, and just like in, this, in his creation, God said, you know what? Adam is good, like he did with all the rest of his creation. But then God recognized man was not intended to be alone. God created a woman because man needs relationships. If you've missed out on this whole idea of why you need to be in small groups and in church, you've got to go back and listen to the last four weeks of sermons. We cannot make it any plainer. You need relationships. You learn about God from other people in your life. Guys, you've got to be in small groups. You need to be in discipleship. Go back and listen to that. But not only that, God designed relationships in the, in the marital covenant relationship. And, and think with me this morning. Adam had quiet time with God 24 hours a day. Some of y'all can't do 10 minutes. Adam had quiet time with God 24 hours a day, but he still ached for human relationships. And God created in his image us to have relationships. And by the way, this whole thing, don't argue with me on this because you're going to really tick God off. God is all about relationships you know, I can prove my point real easy. Because the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, don't ask me to explain it, but if God and His creator, who He is, has a relationship with those three, how much more important did He create relationships for us? So God created a companion, someone like Adam, but Y'all ready? But different. She was a different gender. Oh, yeah, I just went there. It says in Genesis that she waited till she was 12 years old, and then she decided what gender she was. <laughs> uh, isn't that just, anyway, so I'm not going to try to get in trouble, but it's just valid. She was a female gender, 
and it was good. The woman was created to be his companion. And and now here's the interesting part. The Hebrew word there for woman and how he described their relationship for their deep friendship. And that's what, when God would refer to Eve for Adam, he'd say, this is your deep friend. This is your friend that's going to be there with you. The Hebrew word there is halup, H-A-L-U-P. And so anytime they described, it was their pet name. So Adam would look at Eve and he would go, you know what? You're my deep friend. But if he would say it in you know, Hebrew, he would say, you're my halop. Do anybody, you guys have a pet name for each other? Uh, Belinda and I, uh, when we first started out, <laughs> I was stupid. Uh, I looked at Belinda, she has, you know, excellent background. So I just said, uh, hey, you want to be my hot tamale? It didn't last as a pet name in our marriage. So anyway, uh, so we wound up settling for Sonny and Shears. I got you, babe. So we've just been babe ever since. And so we're, <laughs> we're 70s people. So anyway, uh, so we, that was our pet nickname. Uh, there's somebody in the church family. I don't know who they are. I don't want to know. Uh, but they call their pet spouse Sugar Booger. So <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know. But anyway, I don't know what your pet name is that you have for one another, but here's what I want you to do at home, or you're the, those few of you that are here today, I want you to turn to your significant other, your spouse, and I want you to look at them and go, hey, baby, you're my halop, all right? And so uh, that's going to be your new, <laughs> does that not just get your Valentine's fire going? You're my halop. Anyway, it sounds like a fish, doesn't it? But uh, so, so that was the term, that was the pet name that Adam and Eve had for each other, and it meant a deep friendship. So this morning, real quickly, I want to talk to all of our junior high, our teenagers, and especially uh, to our singles in our church of all ages. I want to take this whole concept, principle number two of God's plan for marriage is friendship, halop, deep friendship that he created Adam and Eve for, and I want to apply it to your dating uh, experience. So this is very significant. As parents, you want to make sure your teens are getting this down. Singles, uh, I need to remind you of the biblical God's plan for dating. Here it is. Number one, dating is about friendship. Friendships ought to be a basis for dating. Friendships ought to be the basis for dating. You should look for someone who is the, your equal, someone who can be your friend. The reason Belinda and I work, it, people all the time come up to her and say, how do you live with Terry? You know, what, you know what, what is your key secret? Have you guys been married for 30s, a long time? Uh, and uh, how, how have you guys uh, been together all of this time? And, and Belen will invariably say, he's, he's my best friend. Uh, we have developed this friendship. And, and here's what happens in our house. We talk about ministry stuff. We talk about you. Uh, we, we talk about uh, stuff that we have in common. And, and, and I'm so thankful to have a pastor's wife that loves for me to talk theology to her. She doesn't always, you know, get it all, but she longs to hear me talk about my job. And I don't long to hear her talk about her job, but I do it. It's not that fascinating to me. And and I've adapted to her because she's my best friend. I watch endless hours of 2020 and Dateline and 48 hours of How to Kill Your Husband and all the other murder mysteries that are on there because that's what she loves to do. And I got to be honest, we were watching one last night. And uh, uh, this couple got murdered, and, and we were both mad. I mean, we were just like, hang them now. I mean, just kill them. Uh, anyway, and we were both mad at the whole show. Uh, but I'm just telling you, because of friendship, and your dating should be about developing friendship. When we started dating, this was back in the day, we went bowling. That's what you did in our day. We went bowling, and, and uh, we went to basketball games together. 
Dating should be about friendship. Number two, never date someone who's not a Christian. That may be controversial to you. It shouldn't be. Your future marriage to work, you need to understand. Your future covenant marriage, it's going to be about more than feelings, puppy dog feelings. It's going to be about deep love and affection. If you come home from church and your spouse is not a believer and you want to share how God spoke to your heart, and when they reject that and they have no use to hear that, that's a hard road to go. And it makes you feel rejected. Now listen to me this morning. Don't tune me out. I'm talking to those that are single. You need to make a priority of your life. I'm not going to date an unbeliever because I'm just telling you, you're going to have a hard road to go in your life because one of the major components of your life is you can't talk about your faith. But let me say as a compassionate heart to those in our church, and we've got plenty whose spouse is not a believer, I'm asking our church family to commit with me I do this already anyway, and I'm asking everybody else to join in with me. Every week when I pray for you as a sing, or pray for you and your spouse is not saved, I pray for your spouse to come to know Jesus. I'm asking the church family to join with me because I know that the most important thing to happen for you in your life, being married to an unbelieving spouse in 2021, is for them to be saved. Would you join me in church? I believe God can save them. I believe God can reach them, and I'm just telling you now, my heart is out there for you, and we love you, and we're going to pray that your spouse comes to Jesus. Amen? Never date someone who is not a Christian. Number three, date for clarity and not intimacy. Dating is a time to evaluate the person you want to join yourself for your life. So the purpose of dating is to choose someone to marry that has character. Hear me this morning, and I'm going to be very clear about this. When you're dating, when you're dating, I don't care how old you are, when you're dating, you're looking for one distinctive characteristic, and that is their character. You need to know that the person you're dating is going to be with you and stick with you in a covenant relationship, and I don't care how good they look, I don't care how puppy dog feelings you have, and when you begin to intertwine, this is why we say you should not have sex before your marriage, because in intimacy, and, and I'm not saying, there was a book written several years ago uh, about you know, and we had a youth pastor here that bought that. I never bought into it. I thought it was stupid that said you should never have a kiss on a day, kiss good dating goodbye or something. He turned out to be a weirdo and a flake and left the Christianity and, and you shouldn't have listened to his stupid stuff anyway. I'm not saying you shouldn't ever have a kiss or having any kind of intimate feelings with one another, but you better be doggone very clear and be very careful because when you involve too much intimacy, all you're doing is blinding your eyes to see the real character in a person. Dating is about clarity, not intimacy. And by the way, for you girls and my granddaughter, what I'm saying about kissing, you can start when you're 30. So dating is not for clarity and intimacy. Seek God first in dating and your significant other second. See God first in dating, your significant other second. Marriage does not complete you. Jesus, let, me, let me say that again. Marriage does not complete you. 
Jesus says it is not only permissible in this text for some to be single, it's actually God's plan for their lives. Look at our verse again. Let the one who's able to receive this receive it. What Jesus was talking about when the Pharisees questioned him, should everyone marry? Jesus says no. Most will marry, and that's a good thing. But listen to me, all of you that are out there that are single this morning, very quickly today. I want you to know some of you will never get married or married again, and it's okay. Not only does God have a plan for your life, you don't have to have a spouse to have completeness. We're praying, I'm praying, that you find your completeness in God. And I want you to know at Connect Church, God has a plan for your life. We have a plan for you being a single person in this church. Welcome to the family. Welcome to that relationship. So what does Jesus say about divorce? I'm going to wrap all this up. Jesus says in our text that God allowed principle number three today. What does Jesus say about divorce? God allowed Moses to grant people in Deuteronomy divorce because of the hardness of their hearts. That word indecency that we talked about in Deuteronomy 24.1. Guys, this is the real crux of the matter here this morning. Hear me, and I'm almost done. Far too many of you have put your marriage on, your, on the back burner And the reason that we can't help you and the reason that we have divorces in the church 99% of the time is because you wait too late to come and talk to me. You wait until there's nothing else that can be done. Your spouse's heart is hardened. Your heart is hardened. You've been fighting for years and you wait. You don't want to go to the couple's retreat. Well, we might be uncomfortable. We don't listen to sermons like this. And even when we do listen to them, we don't go make a change in our behavior. We don't change the way we're living because that might be hard for me to do. And all the time, your heart gets harder and harder. Then you get John Brown mad at me. You get mad at the church. Why can't you save our marriage? Why doesn't God love our marriage? It's on you because you allowed your heart to become hardened to the fact that God or anybody else couldn't do anything for it. And that's exactly what happened in Deuteronomy 24.1. I love throwed rose at Lambert's. Man, that is some of the most best bread I've ever had in my life. Matter of fact, I'll take them home in the goodie bag with me. But you know what happens with that, some of the most greatest bread ever? If I stick those rows in the fridge and I ignore them for a month, three months, a year, a decade, and I pull that John Brown roll out of the fridge, I don't care what I do to it. I don't care how much I nuke it. That is never going to be the same as when they came out of that pan hot and they were throwing to me. And you're wasting and you're destroying your marriage because you won't come in, you won't get help, you won't go to marriage retreats, you won't do any of those things. And then when it all falls apart, you wonder why we can't help you. Your heart has become hard. So what does Jesus say about it? He says, if you're married or single, the application is the same. Seek God first because whatever state you're in, You all need his help. Seek God first and do it now before your heart gets hardened. 
C.S. Lewis says it this way. There are first things and second things in life. If you worry about the first things, he will supply the second things. I promise you this morning, if you will follow God's plan for marriage, for being single and going through divorce, I promise you, he's going to do untold things to help revive your marriage, save your kids. He's going to do things in your life, I'm telling you, to change your whole perspective on parenting, on everything. I'm living proof. Belinda's living proof. Satan has done his best to destroy, to destroy our marriage. And honestly, it's come close a few times. I'm just confessing that as your pastor. But when you keep putting him first, don't allow your heart to be hardened. God is going to bless you with a life beyond your comprehension. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for forever families. You designed marriage to be a covenant that lasts forever. God, you want to help singles walk through this journey of life and realize you've got a purpose and a plan for their life. God, you want to help our teenagers this morning to discover that God's got a plan for dating. This is how we do it, and this is why we do it. God, I'm praying that every parent that has listened to this message is going to have a really detailed conversation this afternoon while we have this snow again. Uh, and they're going to sit down and they're going to go over these four points about dating with their teens and junior high kids. And they're going to remind them today, thankful for a church that, that has the gumption, Father, to, to, to broach into these subjects and, and that really give practical stuff to help families and marriages, to help a future generation understand marriage is a covenant that can last forever if we follow God's plan in our hearts and lives. God bless your people today. We love the families at Connect Church. And Father, we thank you. Help our folks, Father, to be here next weekend as we really pour into marriages. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to do this once a year focus on the family. In your name I pray, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 10.30. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like to answer, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.